independent, expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Good evening out there in Radio Land. You are listening to Independence Day. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. Tonight on Independence Day, we are very happy to have Whispering Pines. Once upon a time, before the universe was digitized, people made and listened to music using analog technology. On one end, artists, producers, and engineers recorded on analog tape, and they incorporated the medium's limitations into their process. Tape is hissy, but it's forgiving, and it can make music sound dynamic and closer to the listener. And on the other end, long before people could put their entire music collections on a device smaller than a pack of cigarettes, music fans listened to their favorite albums by placing black vinyl discs on a turntable and setting a needle in a groove. Vinyl is scratchy, but it's an experience. The vinyl devotees in Los Angeles' Whispering Pines know their way around this archaic but romantic analog technology, and they aren't afraid to use it. Their eponymous sophomore record was recorded on glorious 2-inch analog tape and will be released in September of 2012. The record is replete with carefully crafted songs that harken back to the days of classic rock guitars, whirring Hammond organs, rattling drums, and slapback echo. And if you close your eyes and listen, you can easily envision their names spinning around the middle of that black vinyl disc at 33 and a third revolutions per minute. Welcome to Independence Day, Whispering Pines. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks. It's great to have you guys here. Where are you guys? Are, you guys are LA-based, but more specifically, what part of town? Uh, Most of us live in Echo Park area. Yeah. Uh, Dave Burden over here lives over in Venice. Yeah. And speaking of names, why don't we do, why don't we do that? I skipped the introduction part. Let's give everybody a, a chance to get to know who we're talking to here. Why don't we start over here with you, sir? Hi, I'm Joe Bourdais. And you do what exactly? I play uh, electric guitar mostly, acoustic guitar. Uh, and slide. Slide guitar. I sing. You slide on both acoustic and electric? Uh, I do, mostly on electric, and today on electric. Yeah, slide's a challenge, man. We're going to get to that in a little bit, but we're gonna, let's, let's meet the rest of this band first and foremost. Next. Hi, how's it going? I'm David Burden. I play harmonica, and I sing. Yeah, and you've got, I love your case, man. I wish I could, t- I'm going to take a picture of this case and put it up on our site. Th- this guy gave me the case, actually. One of, my old case got snaked out of my truck, so yeah. he... He was nice enough to give me a hand-me-down. So. I had a vintage tweed suitcase that I kept all my pedals in for years and years until it just, like the bluesmobile, it just imploded after like yeah. years and years of gigs. But it's so cool. Old, mm. old vintage makeup cases yeah. are the ideal mm. yeah, uh, yeah. road gear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so while you're talking, who are you? Uh, Dave Bain. Play guitar, keyboards. I, I think I, I did do a little mandolin on this record, but mostly guitar, keyboards, yeah, Wurlitzer, Hammond organ. Yeah, when you play keys, you're not talking like like Korg M1. You're talking actually the real deal stuff, pretty uh, much, right? Well, in that live setting, unfortunately, I'm I have I have to use a uh, improvised mm-hmm. tool, the uh, Nord Electro. Which, oh yeah, that's a great but, way to go. But of course, live. Uh, I'm I'm sorry with recording uh, Hammond organ. Of course, uh, Joe Bourdais over here is a crafty guy with uh, speakers and various amp equipment so he crafted a leslie speaker or fixed up an old leslie speaker that came out of a gulbranson president okay yeah came out of something so uh so we kind of mixed it up i think this record we did stuff with a couple different hammond organs a hammond b3 with a classic uh with a classic full-size leslie yeah yeah then we did another some other stuff with an M3 using Joe's 
uh, modded yeah. Leslie, which has like a completely different sound, a completely different. The Leslie speaker yeah, yeah. being the rotor speaker and had a much like, yeah what slower. we're talking about here for this let me jump in for just a second i'm sorry but the the leslie speaker is like a rotating speaker cabinet that a guy uh what was his first name something leslie david leslie i don't escapes, remember I, I, I should know this <laughs> i should know this I'm, I'm embarrassed in any case he he made the speaker to go along with the hammond organ to emulate the beats in the air of a pipe organ because the original hammond organ mm-hmm. was was to, like, like, to emulate a pipe organ all those draw bars emulate stops but they couldn't get it. It sounded very bland and plain. So this guy from you know, uh, Leslie invented this rotating speaker technology. But that's, you know, everybody started misusing it just to make it sound really cool and overdriving. And that started in the 50s and 60s. And it's, it's like a classic rock and roll sound. Oh, absolutely. I yeah. mean, Booker T is probably, yeah. he used an M3, but he's probably popularized it. Of course, Greg Allman. Yeah, yeah. Ben Montench. Yeah, Ben Montench. Yeah, in an even more modern context. Yeah. Ben Montench. Indeed. But, uh, so it's a, it's a beautiful thing, you know. Yeah, I worship at the altar of Ben Mont. Yeah. If I ever have a son, I'm going to name him Ben Mont. <laughs> we got to play with we him. We actually played with <laughs> him. Yeah, that's cool. One time. And his name is, his name is actually Benjamin Mont... Is it Mont... Montmercy? It's like, it's like this weird, crazy middle name, and they just combine the two. Anyway, mm, another little detail, we little don't detail about Ben Montage. <laughs> In any case, we've got one other person to meet over here. Tell us, tell us who you are. All right, my name's Joe Zabilski. I play drums and percussion. Joe Zabilski. That's how we'd say it if we were in... I just came back from Chicago, so That's forget. a great Polish name, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, we're going to go down after the game. We're going to get a Polish... Anyway, it's, it's, it's a type of sausage. <laughs> taking case, some polka. Exactly, taking some polka. I have accordions, you know, counts. So anyway, so we now that we've met you guys, I'd like to give everyone a little taste of what you're all about musically speaking. You've got this new record. It's an eponymous record. which is named after the band Whispering Pines. It's coming out in September, the 18th of September. And there's going to be some kind of CD release gig, but you guys are still working on that. So we'll, as soon as we know, we'll relay that to everybody. But this is the track. It's called Sunrise to Sunset. It takes place on this. I love how you guys have this sequenced, like side A, side B. I do that on all my records. That's our tradition. Yeah, I've done that in everything I've ever done. I always do it that way. So let's hear uh, let's hear what this is all about, and we'll and we'll come back. We'll uh, I'll talk you guys some more. Been 
there. My name is Joe Armstrong. You are listening to Independence Day. This is the show that talks about musicians and what it's like to be a musician in the new millennium after all these changes that have taken place. And they keep taking place, man. The old model's gone, but there is no new model. So this is what we're doing, doing the best we can. I have the band Whispering Pines with me in here tonight, and they are fantastic. Laid back in the best kind of way possible. I've got four of the five of them here. I've got David Bain, Joe Bourdais, Dave Burden and Joe Zabilski here with me tonight. So we're only missing the bass player who I hear is MIA. He's in, in Utah. Is that correct? Well, he's en route to Montana. Okay. En route, uh, we, route for, to Calgary. We know for a fact he is in Salt Lake City or nearabouts uh, okay. because he's been currently texting. <laughs> so texting we, from he, he's totally looking for a place to drink in a, in a dry county. Yeah. In Utah. You, can <laughs> yeah. Get, you can get yourself in a, in, a, in a tough situation in Utah. At least they changed their laws recently. Um, up until last year, you had to, they could go to a bar and you'd have to pay a membership fee which is essentially just a different way to do a cover charge. But because of the way their laws are made, you can't go drink at a club, or at least you couldn't, unless you were a member of that club. It didn't matter if you were there for a day or a week or a year. You had to buy a membership. It was totally ridiculous. Hmm. Did you get a cool smoking jacket with that membership? No, unfortunately, (laughs) they just let you have beer at all. And even then, they had restrictions on their ABV, too, which is a bad news. It's still probably cheaper than drinking in L.A. Yeah, true. Well, oh, man, don't get me started about that. (laughs) I have a habit. Anyway... So I'm I'm very happy to have you guys here. You guys are right up my alley musically. I mean, you're I mean, tell me tell me a little bit about your, you know, this is like the dopiest question in the world, but like cuz I know what the answer is, but tell me like who made you play music when you were growing up? What albums were you listening to that like really made you think, "Man, I want to do that." And make sure you say your name so we know who we're dealing with here. Anyone? Uh, shall I start? Yeah, anybody. Uh I think my mom rented a VHS copy of A Hard Day's Night. Okay? And it started a I think I was a preteen. I, 
but it started some kind of a slight Beatlemania. Yeah. That translated into me being very interested in. So early period or late period Beatles were your. Was well, you, I started you... with Hard Day's Night, so uh, you know, but I quickly, uh, ex- you know, explored the whole catalog. Yeah. And uh, that affected me. I, you know, I got the haircut and I looked strange. And uh, <laughs> where uh, did you grow up? Uh, a town called Nevada City, California. Okay. Um, that started it, and then uh, my uncle loaned me a guitar at some point, and I just uh, became very interested. Yeah. Okay. How about the rest of you guys? This is Dave Bain speaking here. Uh, I guess for me, when I was a teenager, my older brothers had played in punk bands and were fans of The Clash and The Ramones. So as a child, I remember growing up on all this punk rock, so it probably had an influence on me playing in these pretty aggressive bands when I was a teen, but the thing that probably really turned me on to rock and roll uh, music in general, I would say I was a huge fan as a teenager of Robbie Krieger and The Doors. That's interesting. Which is a pretty obvious thing for being from Southern California and, you know, probably one of the most popular Southern California rock bands of Of all time. Yeah. So just that whole sound, you know, and just the whole the whole vibe. It just became completely fascinated with like '60s Los Angeles, and just yeah. so it was just a whole vibe that I was, you know, I think I couldn't get in suburbia, you know, yeah. 1990s. Uh, and where did Los you grow Angeles. up? So you grew San, up? Santa Ana. Okay, not too far away. Yeah, not too far. So interesting. Like, I, of all the people I've asked that question of, like, I don't think I've ever had anyone say Robbie Krieger. Yeah. You know, it's always, you know, Eric Clapton or Jimmy Page or Eddie Van Halen or whatever. But that's a really, really interesting. Yeah. I mean, because I, I bet that that really kind of changed the way you learned to play guitar. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, the first two guitars that I owned were SGs. Okay. So, yeah. I don't know. I guess that was one of them I inherited from my older brother and then another one I acquired. But... You know, I would say as a as a teen. I mean, as of course, as you get older, as I got older, you know, my I would like to think my taste got more intellectual, and I moved up to <laughs> moved up to the stones. So Steely something. Dan, yeah, Steely, yeah, of course, yeah, Asia. So and we uh, we looked it up. Valentino was kind enough. It's Donald Leslie, by the way. Donald, oh, okay. Who the Hammond guy? They didn't like each other. No, they like, yeah. didn't. Hammond yeah. thought that the Leslie ruined what he was trying to do but like I mean man like bacon and eggs what two yeah. things in the world go better together yeah. than a yeah, Hammond yeah. organ and a Leslie Speaker there's a fantastic book called Beauty in the Bee uh-huh. and it's the history of both of those guys I believe I own that book yes which is why I'm embarrassed that I couldn't I think you. of Donald Leslie's yeah. first name yeah I own it too and I can't think of it so there yeah. you go so and then on, uh, since you're, you're talking we were talking about this on stage you don't actually use you don't actually use a B3 on stage no it's just too too much yeah, these days yeah, so. we're a club band, and, and the yeah. stages we play on are uh, small. Yeah, we barely yeah. fit on it as it is with our limited gear. So. In the past, I've you know with other groups, I've used like you know vintage organs like Vox Continental and yeah, you know Mellotron. Yeah, I've used even like Hammonds like like a I forget the model like the X something yeah, Hammond like something the XB2 and, and then all that. using that with the Leslie, you know, yeah. but then just just. You know, because actually on stage these days I'm playing guitar right. and keys. I'm switching between the two instruments, yeah. 
uh, it's just easier. So do you just go direct then? I mean, this is like a funny inside baseball question because some of my favorite players will use like a motion sound amp that has like a, it's kind of like an imitation Leslie or something like that. Totally. You just go direct. Well, the Nord has like essentially sim- Leslie modeling, so it has yeah. like ro- rotary speaker modeling, yeah. and then the whole idea about a Leslie is that it's kind of throwing the sound all over the place. So the right. ideal to, way to use the Nord, even though it's an unfortunate instrument is to run it <laughs> is to what i'm sorry is to run it in stereo there right. goes your so sponsorship the, yeah sorry yeah. nord we call it well they we'll you know the uh, the uh, musician's way to refer to a, a nord is the nerd yeah. electro so. yeah the thing is though it totally raised the bar you know like yeah it's like it's kind of like what mackie did for little mixers and like, it's, n- it's nothing to say anything about the sound it's just the appearance of it and yeah the appearance they have to make it so dopey looking. Yeah, I've Dave is so proud of his Nord that he built his own custom case to yeah. conceal it from yeah. prying eyes. Yeah, yeah. I've Cases concealed my Nord. You will not, unless you sneak on stage yeah, and yeah. see behind the curtain, you will not see that I'm actually playing Nord. Yeah. It looks like I'm playing my own custom handmade Hammond that I yeah. built in my You know, garage. rock and roll is a visual medium that makes total sense yeah. to me. You know, like, I mean, they, they spend all this time to make guitars look really cool, you know, sunburst and... You know, you know all the various really cool classic guitars, and then even keyboards back in the day yeah. had like a style thing. Yeah. And then all of a sudden in the '90s or something with the synthesizer, and then all these, you know, new yeah. technologies. It's like you know, style to the instrument just completely went out. Well, the door. plus the, I think they're are they Swedish? Or are yeah, they, are they're sweet. Like, I mean, what do they know about design? Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, but uh, we don't have a symbol. No, they they did a bad job. Like they do such a good job with everything else, but they did a terrible job with that. It's red. It's red. Did it have to be red? Yeah. Anyway, all right. I digress a little bit. So I mean, let's just get real quick with the other two guys. Like, what what made you get into music? This is Dave. Oh man, Uh, yeah. This is David Burden. Uh, I have really fond memories of you know my dad coming home from work, you know, and bringing home buddies and we had a pool table in our living room it used to <laughs> enrage my mom because, i was gonna say i bet your mother loved that yeah yeah she didn't like that but there was a it was a pool table in the middle of the living room we had a turntable there it was kind of my dad's like playground right there and he'd come home after work he was an engineer he worked at the power plant i grew up in phoenix or okay. you know on the west edge of phoenix in arizona and uh they'd come home and listen to all kinds of great records and just like Dave, you know, growing up in the desert, I was definitely a punk rocker yeah. as a teenager. But the memories of listening, my dad listened to like Exile on Main Street mm-hmm. and Muswell Hillbillies and all kinds of awesome uh, classic rock bands. Yeah. You know, The Who and he, you know, yeah. Hendrix and just whatever, you know, like great records. And just having fun with his buddy, shooting pool, you know, drinking a couple beers, just having fun and relaxing after yeah. a day. It was that was always a, a huge influence on me, and it's you know it's kind of come full circle. Yeah. That's the music that I'm yeah, yeah. interested in. So. That's a, there's a really rich tradition. The guys from Uncle Tupelo started off like they were into the Minutemen, and they were into like punk bands. So, so like their their first stuff is really really raw, but then they figured out that like the raw stuff available at all is country music. Like these people lived in the hollow with dirt floors, right. yeah. you know. So they were like they had real problems. Right. So that's what they they turned to country music and found the rawest thing of all, and that's when they, that's when they kind of kickstarted right. that whole alt country thing. It's always you know you're always mining for the thing. It's like I really like this guy. What was he into? And then you right. research this guy that you really dig, and you figure out 
you know, eventually you end up at in some, you know, Delta Blues yeah. bar with some yeah, guy music. that no one's ever heard of or right. whatever. You know, music's it's, all about history, and yeah. the more you get into music, the more you get into the history yeah. of music right. and what you know your favorite people, yeah. what influenced them, and of course you always, you know, go back and then and then you go forward. You know, like what's yeah. you know so. And that's the benefit. I mean, that's the one of the benefits of being doing this in 2012 is we have all of it. The history is accessible. Do a little bit of homework. And with the internet, it's all right there. Like, okay, I love the Jayhawks. Who did they like? Oh, they liked the, you know, Graham Parsons and the Leuven Brothers. So go back and listen to the Leuven Brothers. Oh, wow, that's really fantastic. Who did they really like? Mm -hmm. You know, and I did always, you know, (laughs) uh, what's that band? Like uh, Pandora. Every single band I put into Pandora goes back to uh, Ben Harper. I have no idea why. Every no matter what band I put into Pandora, they think I love Ben Harper, and I really don't have anything against Ben Harper. But I find it annoying that like their algorithm always takes me to Ben that's, Harper. Yeah. He smacks, plays a Dobro. That smacks of payola. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? I mean, I think I could put in like Rachmaninoff, and somehow I would find a way to Ben Harper. Anyway, we've got one more member. I want to hear what what your uh, what your where what got you into this. This is Joe. I started playing very very young, so. Uh, I have to admit, it was Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction. Okay. Uh, I had a drum set with massive power toms uh-huh. and a huge cowbell, uh, oversized, very heavy cymbals. Uh-huh. But uh, one uh, generally progresses from there when they steal their father's copy of Rolling Stone's Hot Rocks. Uh-huh. Uh, then you meet your punk rock buddies and get your minor threat. And then you mellow out in high school, and then it's Dinosaur Jr. and Neil Young on the way out okay. from there. So it's, that's I kind like, of the progression. Uh, I love how articulate your progression yeah. is. Like you, Like it took Dave like... 10 minutes to say his whole progression, which was very articulate as well. But I like how succinct yours is. Well, I went last. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, well, saving time for music. Let's, we've got, let's, let's hear you guys play a tune here. You guys have dragged your instruments out. We've got two, Mar- well, I've got two Martins and a Fender and some harps and a snare drum. So I want to hear what you guys are all about. So what are you going to play for us? Right now we're going to play the song Georgia Highway. Okay. So, of course, we are playing... This song is actually an acoustic song off the record, but everything we'll be playing today will be acoustic yeah. uh, takes on yeah, yeah. the record. I love it. I love it when bands can do that because I think it shows it shows musical like adeptness, you know, to be able to take your because some people like they can only do their music the one way. But yeah. bands who I think are really talented can reimagine things and then change things around. It's a living breathing art form. We hope so. Yeah. Well we're gonna hear it in just a second. So <laughs> all right, so this is Whispering Pines with the track Georgia Highway. Georgia Highway, go on forever Don't you sink into the falling leaves of brown How long till these old souls quit me Grow heavy every time the sun set down In the rain Is the only sound Not sure where this road's gonna take me I'm just looking for a place to settle down See the foothills glowing in the distance Getting harder to make the lines out on the ground 
in the rain Is the only sound No better place to spend my time Have a shame of treating me just fine Friendly people live in simple ways Drinking sweet tea on the hottest days No better place to clear my mind Blue Ridge Mountains are the sweetest kind These old farms are looking like a song I feel at home but it's time to move on choice, take the north or southbound There's a crossroads up ahead, goes either way Georgia Highway will lead me to an answer When the state line's only 30 miles away And the rain Is the only sound still ringing? Is the only sound that? Whispering Pines, ladies and gentlemen. I dig that, man. It's like so laid back in the coolest way I can think of. You know, like there's so many different ways that people do this kind of like countryish rock, the band sounding early 70s type stuff. And I like the, I like the kind of laid back tack that you guys have. You know, it really it, it reminds me of the band, at least that particular tune. Yeah. Surely well, there's, there's some of that in there somewhere. That's down to Mr. David Burden, who uh, wrote it. He kind of yeah. wanted, had a specific feel and. Uh, and it just grew around that. I think. So, so now is this kind of a collective in the sense that everybody's writing and contributing their own songs? Yes. Do you guys ever write together, like work on, like you bring an idea and then you finish it? Well, we all workshop the songs together. So, uh, so in that respect, we all have a hand in in the arrangements and different ideas, and it's like a little think tank. But the songs usually come in mostly formed by one writer or another. Okay. Uh, every once in a while, there's a co-write, but I think me and Brian were doing that early on, and since that time, not so much. I think we all go come up with this stuff. Yeah, and when you're making set lists, then like, how do you just? I mean, how do you pick the songs based on the fact you've got so many writers? Because I mean, you guys, there's so many bands that like have multiple writers, and then sooner or later, someone starts to get well, it's- someone gets ringoed. We're, we're very democratic. <laughs> we're very democratic. Hey, quiet, quiet, Ringo. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, now we all work it out. We argue it out. We do a lot of debating in this band. Do you uh, make lists when you play live shows, or do you just kind of go and yeah, let Yeah, we it have let... set lists. Yeah. Okay. We used to be much more haphazard um, about it, and that occasionally was fantastic, but frequently ended up with us milling around on stage. Yeah. Well, sometimes the spontaneity, spontaneity of a show will kind of, like, force us to right. rethink the set, like, right. mid-set, like, wow, this 
crowd is just yeah. really high energy. Yeah. We just need to just keep it chugging, you know? Yeah, well, you can always call an audible. Yeah. I figure, like, better to have a list and not use it than the other way around. And, and like you said, I end up milling around on stage. I've been in a million audiences, and it's boring. Yeah. When the band's up there, like, you know, they're arguing about what song they're going to play. And, like, I don't care. Just play a song, right. you know? You're not getting anywhere by, by bickering about it. Absolutely. So we, we try to be, you know, diligent yeah. about making an effective set list. But, yeah. you know. We're learning those lessons. We won't, we won't lie. You know, we've had those few awkward moments where we're yelling at each other, like, let's play this song. Yeah. No, let's play that song. As of now, it seems pretty well-paced according to <laughs> tempo, key, and who's singing the song. It yeah. seems to work a little bit better now. Yeah, yeah, also, we're starting to really like performing some songs, just just kind of work yeah. better for being on stage and the instrumentation that we end up using. And, yeah. Um, and how so many, we just gravitate. And how many writers do we have? Four writers. Four. Four. So yeah, on the album, right. whoever sings lead on the song is the is yeah. the songwriter. That's yeah. how we do it. It's cool. This is the second time this band has come up. It's a the vinyl devotees as well. Drive by truckers, based out of Athens, Georgia. They're they're a band that had at one point that well, I think they they mostly have two guys. They had three for a while, and that was really really interesting to like because when I f- was first discovering them, you know, you don't know the band at all. You're just listening to the record and you're thinking that that doesn't sound like the same singer. Then well, then there's another person. Like when there's two, it's easier, I think. You know, it's like the Lennon or McCartney thing. It's like either A or B, and then the occasional Ringo song, you know, or George song. But with a band like that, you know, they were pretty much divided evenly throughout the course of a record. And that was really kind of like a, an interesting thing for you to wrap your ears around, to like get a feel for who does what mm-hmm. and like really get to know a band. Who brings in like the up-tempo tunes? Does it, does it fall like that or is it pretty much all over the map? It's all, I mean, I think it's pretty much all across the map. I mean, we all, of course, have pretty diverse tastes in music, so... As far as influences for writing certain tunes, it's, you know, it's like for me, I know I definitely have stuff that's like, you know, very simple, up tempo stuff. And then other times I'm trying to, you know, naturally, you know, go into something like a, yeah. a softer, more maybe finger picking based thing, you know, yeah. or something. So it would be complete, instru- you know, completely influenced by, say, an instrument or something like a soul music with a Hammond organ versus yeah. like acoustic folk music with yeah. a. So. If anybody has a pretty consistent style, this is David Burden talking. I think it would probably be Brian, in my Brian. opinion. Brian's who's, right, who don't loves, you think? Uh, who's not Bri- here. Brian's who's the, not here today. Brian's the the solid gold soft rocker in the band for sure. I think AM gold. Yeah, I, I I call him solid gold. Solid gold. Lots of Jackson Brown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's you know Todd Rundgren and that okay. kind of stuff. You know. And then when you guys, so when you when someone brings in a song. Um, how much creative license does that r- the person as the writer get to say, you know, or did you then make suggestions? Like if you bring in a song, do you say, well, I think maybe this should have Wurlitzer or maybe this should have B3 or this should have whatever? Or is it pretty much just you start, you bring it in and everyone kind of pieces their own thing together? I think the writer really has final say and maybe veto power. I mean, we haven't really discussed this. It's just how it kind of works out. But everybody kind of sees... It's just like a work, a workshop kind of yeah. environment. We definitely experiment with different sounds. Like, what if we make this song, you know, much more rocking and louder? Or what if we, like, really tone it down and really kind of, like, focus on, yeah. say, the vocal harmonies as opposed to focusing on, yeah. you know, So, as far as, yeah, and instrumentation, I mean... It seems like there's a lot of experimentation until it becomes obvious that it's the right path. Yeah. Yeah, and we can all kind of figure that out, yeah. And then when you are in, like in the studio, I mean, you must you work things out in rehearsal, or then do you? Because like some bands, it's kind of a luxury, 
you know, like Tom Petty can pay for the studio time to go into the studio and then like show the guys the song and then they do it. I mean, do you guys work things out pretty much beforehand? I mean, yeah, knowing that we were going to, sorry, knowing that we were going to go in and record onto tape, which nowadays is, you know, much more expensive than just doing a Pro Tools studio. Totally. It's like a, it's a committed process to go to tape. So, um, surprisingly, we did do a bit of experimentation in the studio, you know, with some input from some friends. But for the most part, I think we tried to like pre-rehearse things. Yeah. And so, of course, when you listen back, it always creates, uh, you know, new interests and yeah. sounds and w- makes you want to experiment by yeah. adding layers. But uh, not, not so, like nine or ten songs on here. So that's what? That's four rolls of tape? Or is that three rolls? Three. We had three, three reels, yeah. Yeah, because that's the thing. Once upon a time, like when I last time I recorded an analog tape was the 90s, I'm embarrassed to admit. I mean, even then it was 200 bucks a roll. For fifteen minutes. Yeah, it's still you know? like a hundred and yeah, hundred and ninety-five bucks. Yeah, a roll so that's just your right? tape, just your tape. You know, yeah. you get six hundred bucks out the door before you do anything else. But that's cool, man. I, I honestly, I totally admire your devotion to this this technology because it really, I think it really comes across on your record. You know, I was I was asking uh, your um, you know, your PR Kim, who we love. Say hi, Kim. She's in the hey, other Kim. room. Um, you know, did because she was my point of contact for you guys. And did you guys do this on analog tape? And then when I put it on and listened to it like kind of closely, I was like, oh yeah, there's the telltale hiss. But then again, you could emulate hiss these days. They have plugins that you can run stuff in and plug mm-hmm. Pro Tools to give you hiss. Right. You know, but I wanted to know. It sounded like the real deal to me. So good work, man. Kudos to you guys. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Excellent work. So how about another tune? Sure. What do you got for us this time? This is going to be a tune called "Come and Play." Also on the new record? Also on the new record. And who wrote this? I wrote this one. All right. And, and who are you? <laughs> and who are you? All right, cool. You're looking at me, but your eyes don't betray your thing you say saying. But I know that your aim is true You shoot me right over the moon And I'm a flying fool You're a deep-feeling woman And I can't tell what you're thinking But I'm happy if you feel that way I wouldn't have it any other way Now that I know your game it's all I want to play Won't you come and play And don't while the time away Loving you Something real is always worth the
riding, but you weren't impressed with my car Until I played my Fender guitar I knew we were gonna go far when you told me that's fun But when you're done are listening to Independence Day, and that's the band Whispering Pines. I'm very, very proud to have them here in the studio tonight. My name is Joe Armstrong. Again, the show Independence Day. You can learn everything you need to know about us at our website, indepday.com, I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y.com. Also, you can learn about Whispering Pines. They've got a few different websites here. Uh, Inthewhisperingpines.com, myspace.com slash whisperingpinesmusic, and facebook.com slash whisperingpines. We were talking about the Twitter handle before, but nobody can seem to figure out what exactly it might be, which leads me to the question that who handles web stuff for you guys if you're, if you're uh, as uh, easygoing as you are about these sorts of details? Like who's doing these things for you? Uh, I might handle most web stuff. Brian does some too. Everybody checks in, definitely. Uh, I kind of keep it to Facebook because I we're not anti-technology, but it's kind of... It's just a, very time-consuming, yeah, you, know? Yeah. you know? It just takes up a lot of time. Yeah, every so. band approaches this differently. You know, some people have, like, networks of people that work on this kind of stuff that they just kind of set them off to go and do it, you know? But bands, you know, a lot of bands, you know, they're they're kind of scrapping around. You know, they're looking for money for analog tape, you know? They're not. That's not their forte. Is sitting yeah. around like in chat rooms trying to generate buzz for their band. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, it's it's a tough. It's a tough game to play. And now there's like more avenues than ever to to do that. That you have to kind of. I always feel obligated to like maintain a presence in like 27 different places. Well, I mean, it works actually. Uh, what works? Uh, getting me exhausted from <laughs> chat rooms. That certainly. No, works. I mean, I, I don't know about chat rooms, but uh, working this online stuff i mean it uh, one little uh event that you send out takes the place of hanging uh, you know 100 posters uh, yeah. or t- 50 posters that are going to get torn down and wasting paper and all that kind of stuff uh and and then you've got random people looking at it they don't know what it is and they're not going to go yeah but we've got uh you know several thousand people that are interested and we can get right to them click yeah uh and that's that's pretty handy for promotional purposes. Do you gather email addresses or anything like that? It seems like so nineties. We well, or did people just sign up on we, Facebook? We, yeah, face definitely. Yeah. Facebook is probably the the avenue in which we reach the most people. Face we, is the place. Face is the place. <laughs> we definitely have an email <laughs> list, but we don't. We're not really using it right yeah. now. Nice Sun Ra joke. That was yeah. a Sun Ra joke. But um, congratulations. Yeah, that's what we're going to come to call thank, it. A, thanks, guys. That's a non-starter. It's an it's a band joke. But you guys, you guys really do. You seem like a band, kind of in the truest sense. Like, are you? Would you guys consider yourselves to be 
like friends? Like when you're not playing music, do you guys still hang out together <laughs> and like go to the bar or? Sh- we, shoot of course, we are what? friends, but the, I think the band is a strain on the friendship in a lot yeah. of ways, uh, <laughs> just because we end up fighting occasionally. But um, uh, I think we're you know we're all civil enough. I mean, I I think Dave <laughs> said it. A lot of they, us have known each other for a really long time. Yeah. You know, even prior to playing in a band together, uh-huh. we've known. I mean, yeah. I've known Dave since I was like eighteen, nineteen, or yeah. something. So. Yeah, I mean, it's again, every band is different in this regard. I mean, some bands are kind of uh, benevolent. Um, uh, what's the word? Not democracy, like a benevolent, benevolent dictatorship. Where yeah. there's like somebody who who owns everything and runs everything, and everybody else are kind of minions. And there's bands who are like truly friends, and they kind of they're friends first, and they kind of fall into playing music together. Yeah. Um, and I think it kind of shows one way or another. Um, but we know there's a detail about you guys that I think is so interesting. I referenced this before, but you guys are at least some of you are vinyl junkies, right? Mm-hmm. And Correct. no, I, I can answer this question for myself. But why, why vinyl? In your words, it just sounds better. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's I think cheaper. The, it sounds the key, better. The key aspect for me is I can go dollar record shopping, and Dave will. Dave has been doing this since long before I have. But you can buy forty albums. That are of fantastic quality, you know, uh, uh, for the price of maybe two new releases, you know, twenty bucks. Yeah. A CD. and it kind of goes back to history too. I mean, as music fans, it's about the history of music and discovering music. And there's no better way than to discover it on the format in which, you know, that you know music first met, you yeah. know, its initial audience. Yeah. So, and that's just it. Vinyl discs are not that far removed from like the drum that Edison created. It's the same concept. It's just yeah. instead of a drum, it's a disc, you know. So like that that was the technology for I don't know, ninety years, really, in in essence. And then the digital thing came along. So do you I mean, how do you guys I guess this is this is a, where I really want to see what you guys think about this is you know, you did your record on two inch analog tape, but then you did incorporate some Pro Tools in there for mixing mastering purposes. Like how do you feel like these two technologies can coexist peacefully. Like, are you using powers for good and evil, or just getting what you want out of each? Or like, what, what's your perspective on how you make them exist together in your world? Well, the Pro Tools session was used to just strictly document the final mix, which was done in real time in an analog sense. So, so far as the sound quality is concerned, I don't know if we necessarily gained or lost anything using Pro Tools. Uh, I think a lot of the original, just the fact that we used the mics that we used, we used the tape that we did to record it, and we used the boards that we did, and the outboard gear that we did got us where we needed to be. Yeah. Do you think it was it took longer or or a shorter amount of time to do it with the, the analog way? And and how far did you go with it? Like, did you? I mean, are you guys adamant about? I mean, is every instrument on here like a legitimate instrument? Unless there's no Nord Electro and no fake anything. Everything's That's legit, correct, right? Yeah, that is correct. correct. There is no. The Nord was not even, there was no way that was going to be brought to the studio. No. Yeah. Sorry, Nord. We have too much, we have too much stuff to play with besides the Nord. It's, yeah. the Nord's utilitarian. When we had, at the studios we went to, there was great instruments, you know, and of course in Los Angeles and our friends that run these studios, they're just like us. They love, you know, classic sounds. So having the Wurlitzer. Right. Uh, you Let's, know, the Hammond organs, you know, and of course Joe over here, you know, has like various amps and of course the leslie speaker so just like having access to those things it's you know i mean of course we could have got the uh, nord to sound great on the record but it wasn't it wasn't necessarily needed 
Hey, Dave, let's tell them who, like, who helped us with this record and whose equipment we were yeah, using. Yeah, tell me all about well, it. Well, okay. Uh, <clears throat> in Mar- Mark Rains is definitely we, a great guy, a great engineer, a great ear, and we worked in his studio. And um, He has I'm an not- analog studio in Echo Park, which is our hood, kind it's of. It's called uh, uh, Station House. Station okay. House. Yeah. And uh, so our friend Rob Douglas came yeah. down for a few sessions, and he, uh, we borrowed his M3 for that session. That's a Hammond M3. Right, right. And um, additionally, we worked at New Monkey out in Van Nuys, which used to be Elliot Smith's old studio that is now owned by... Someone uh, other than it, well, it, someone it's, it's other than Elliot by Smith. Uh, a friend of ours, Joel Graves, and, right, and another right. guy. But our buddy Jason Soda, who's a you know engineer, producer, guitar player, he plays in a band called Everest and stuff. He he helped us on the last record, so we brought him back to help on this one as well. And so, with how was it that you develop a level of trust with someone who's producing? You know, because this is your music songs that you've written. It's your record, your I money. I think a long-standing relationship and a trust in their taste and as a respect for them as musicians, the things that we've seen them do, and, of course, their knowledge about the instrument, the sound of the instrument, the way to play the instrument. And yeah. This, you know, same reference of records, and it's always, you know, a you know good idea or at least to check in with someone else. Yeah. Because you can get too much in your own head and too much within the own group. Yeah. What do you think they, you know, one of these people you worked with, like as a producer, you know, a ranger type, like what do you think on the record they changed the most? Like what were they, what were you most surprised by of all the stuff on the record? Like give me an example of a time when like you had an idea for one thing and they came in and said, oh, you should, they just walked in and said, oh yeah, just do that. And you guys were thinking, oh, well, we, you know, we didn't think of that. What, what, what's an example? Uh, well, Jason Soda helps with lots of arrangement ideas. Uh, he's constantly coming up with things that are a little bit outside of what we would want to do because we, uh, we kind of like to improvise, and we always, even though we in the studio it's more difficult, we always come in with the spirit of, I'm going to play fills on this song, like I did on the, with the slide earlier today. And Jason will say, no, uh, think about, you know, everyone's heard that lick before. Do something different, and we'll challenge us that way. Rob Douglas uh, came came in with some really interesting arrangement ideas uh, that surprised us that we just ran with, and it, and it really uh, changed some of the songs, uh, I think, for the better. So then coming out of the record, when you go back to play shows, like it's like you go into the studio with like one arrangement and then you come out of the studio with these different changes these people have incorporated. You just take those forward then and that, that becomes kind of the new arrangement or is it kind of fluid? Generally speaking, we did take the studio arrangements and move forward with them uh, and it was a process of basically relearning the songs after recording them for the first live show after the record had been completed, which was uh, which is quite the process considering... Uh, you can't punch in. Yeah, you have to play everything live right the right way, and so a lot of those parts were were basically made up on the fly. Uh-huh. And when we heard something we liked, we kept them. Yeah. And how long? So this is another question. How long had you been playing those songs with version A before you went into the studio, and then it became version B? Like, was it like a couple years? Because that would be a big change, I think. Well, David, how long had we been playing "Move On" before we cut it? That was quite some time. I would. Yeah, that one probably 
the longest year. for sure. Yeah, probably a year. Okay, that's not know. too bad. Yeah. There wasn't that much time between the two, more time than we would have liked for sure, but yeah. it, right. it wasn't a huge span of time between recording the first and second record. But we did recut the one of the first songs that we messed with, uh, Broken Spoke. Oh, yeah. That was, I think, the first song that I brought when the band formed, and uh, we've probably cut several versions of that song, uh, and it's mutated drastically every time it's gone from straight straight time to swung time to mm. acoustic to electric and it's probably due to mostly like my you know neurotic reaction <laughs> to stuff That's i mean true. i'm sure it's not yeah. you know it, well i don't know what to read into it but that song is old that's uh, yeah. we've been messing with that song for probably three years and that's that's good stuff for the box set for like 20 years down totally. the road when you all have coke habits and six ex-wives and you hate each right. other and you all live in separate cities and you have to get back together to put the box set together to sell a million more <laughs> copies right is that the goal yeah, right is that the goal? looking forward to that. What, the six ex-wives is that the goal yeah well we everybody's got their proclivities man i don't know you choose your choose your weapon yeah um so i've just got a couple more things that we got one more song you know we've got to get to here um I'm looking at this album cover. I mean, this is something that people can't see out here, but like it, it only it, like it fits into the name, the Whispering Pines. I mean, I can't tell. Is this a picture of Half Gnome on here? Yeah, up in that corner there. Yeah, those like, are pictures in Yosemite that I took. Because okay. yeah. I'm a I'm a huge Yosemite junkie. I've already been up there once this year. Mm-hmm. I've actually well, I was on top of Half Dome just about a month ago. We were all up. there earlier this month. So yeah, yeah. the whole band. But, yeah, he went together. We all hiked. Yeah. It was yeah. A real... We did a we did, did a show up, up in uh, near Mariposa uh-huh. at a, a festival called the Carter Ranch Music Festival. Yeah. So luckily, at the day after the show, we had a day off about an hour outside of Yosemite. So uh-huh. we went for it. Did we, you Did you camp? Uh, we did. Yeah. We did. We not in Yosemite. We camped outside near uh, Mariposa. Okay. So, but we all hiked up. Uh, you know, an adjacent hike of uh, Nevada Falls. Yeah, I, I know yeah. it very well. Yeah. I love the pictures at the top of Nevada Falls. It says, you know, stay out of the water or something like that. If you go over the fall, you will die. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. That's no joke. You don't, you don't see, like, that's the thing. Like, usually, you know, signs are usually kind of like that you see, that, you know, stay off the lawn, whatever. They're kind of light. You know, like, don't do this, don't do that, whatever, just like that song. But you don't really see that kind of, like... <laughs> You know. stern, you will die definitive yeah. statement on of, a sign. Of all the, go ahead. Of all the ways to go out in the world, like, I wouldn't mind that one. You know, I'd go swimming <laughs> in that river. I'll, I'll swim in that pond. I'm gonna I don't condone it. I do not condone it. But if I could choose, Joe, you know, you gotta go. There are like, worse ways to go. How do you want to do it? I'm just gonna go off the falls after a nice emerald pool. Three swim. seconds of pure terror before... I counted it out, out. actually, at the top of the Nevada. Uh, Nevada we'll see, it's uh, yeah, Vernal's the bottom one. Nevada's the top one. Yeah. And I, I dropped this, like a stick in because people died last summer. Right, yeah, right that was the time I did a three people. What a tragedy. And I threw a stick in and counted it out, like how long it took from where I dropped it in to how long it took to go over the falls. It was about 20 seconds. And I told my friend, like, so if you, if you, you, know, if you fall in right there, you have 20 seconds to live, essentially, or maybe 23, I guess, before you finally hit the bottom. But yeah, so what, I mean, what a cool thing to incorporate because that's something that you know, musicians, you, know, you think of them as being kind of urban sometimes, like they're urban dwellers, like they live in places of decay almost, and that's where they find their inspiration. To find, you know, people who kind of share that in common, I think is a really cool thing. Like, you know, it's, it's like, it's the hokey John Denver thing, but like finding inspiration in nature for the things that you do, but yet living in a city, I think is cool. So good work. 
Thank you. Thank you. Right on. All right, so how about another tune before we get you guys packing on out of here? What do you got for us this time? We are going to play Purest Dreams. And who wrote this? What's who's... I wrote this. And Dave, who are you? Dave Bain. <laughs> I mean, I can see you. I'm in the room here, but I want to make sure everybody knows who we're dealing with here. Okay, so let's hear this. All right. He gonna do 
on the mountaintop And this world crumbles below Lord knows it looked to you To bail him out When he falls from the mountain top And his world crumbles below Lord knows he looked to you Lord knows he looked to you That, ladies and gentlemen, was Whispering Pines on Independence Day, and they've got a brand new record coming out in just about two months' time, in the middle of September, September 17th, I believe you guys said, 18th. 18th. September 18th. Uh, and it is called, it's actually an eponymous record, it's named after the band. It's my last question, I guess. Why name your second record after the band? Uh, I wish there was a great answer to that, um, but I'll tell the truth. We couldn't decide on a name. Yeah. We like, argued endlessly. That's tough, man. Fun. Yeah, that's like that's where the democracy breaks down. I think when it comes to a band, because that's something that like that's like your legacy. The stuff that like you print on paper or music on disc. The stuff that's going forward, you're going to be distributing out to people. So like that's where you know like my thing. We had a hell of a time thinking of a band name before you know when I did my last project, and we we had endless discussions and we joke about this or that for years and years. Or months and months, rather, and then we finally like we we went to um, the Red Lion, and uh, is it Silver Lake? I guess is where the yeah. Red Lion is. Yeah, Silver Lake, Glendale. It's like yeah, it's like we're we're going to the Red Lion, and when we walk out this door, no matter what happens, if they're booting us out the door, we have to have a band name by the time we leave tonight. We came up with something. It worked. It worked. Good. Yeah, we it was like the pressure cooker kind of did it, and it's been a giant plate of sausage and some Bach. The Red Lion is a musical place. Me and Josie met there. Oh, cool. Actually. Lots of history. Yeah. So much, so much music in this town, man. Absolutely. I'm glad you guys are part of it. 
Well, thank you. Anyway, so Whispering Pines, like I said, you can learn about them. They've got a few different websites. Inthewhisperingpines.com is their main site. That's their flagship site. They're on the MySpace, they're on the Facebook, and they're on the Twitter if you can find them there. Um, and we're also on Twitter as well. You can follow us at In-Depth Day. Thank you, gentlemen. I can't thank you enough for coming down to the studio and sharing your evening with us. Thanks, music. It was Thanks excellent. Us. And really keep us posted it. on uh, when, uh, when this CD release party or this record release party is going to be. I'll make sure everybody knows about it. Definitely. Right on. Thank you. I hope to be there myself. It's good stuff. I'm looking forward to hearing you guys live. I don't. I mean, this is other than tonight. I mean, with amplifiers. Yeah. And feedback. You guys do definitely feedback? come out. Do you do we feedback? feedback yeah. Pl- plenty of feedback. Okay. Good. <laughs> good. I love feedback. Feedback is good for the soul. Yes. And thank you very, very much to Whispering Pines, also to the Independence Day staff, Dale Tanksley and Wayne Topinski, and to Valentina Rivera, the badass of the highest order from Lancer Radio. For Independence Day, I'm Joe Armstrong. Please be good to one another. Do you fear this man's invention that they call atomic power? Are we all in great confusion? Do we know the time or hour? When a terrible explosion may rain down upon our land, leaving horrible destruction, blotting out the works of man. Are you ready? Are you ready for that great atomic power? Will you rise and meet your Savior in the air? Will you shout or will you cry when the fire ain't from on high? Are you ready?